listening to Unpacking Injustice with the Montana Innocence Project. This podcast tells the real stories behind wrongful and unjust convictions and illuminates the complex issues responsible for making our criminal justice system unjust. Today, we are bringing you the story of Dave Wilkes. He was freed by the Montana Innocence Project in 2020 after spending nine years wrongfully incarcerated for the deliberate homicide of his three-month-old son, Gabriel. Let's begin unpacking. When the Montana Innocence Project began investigating Dave's wrongful conviction, two major arguments in support of his innocence arose. The first was shaken baby syndrome. Although considered a valid science by some, there is ample evidence refuting its validity. And this is how we get to the second argument in support of Dave's innocence, ineffective assistance of counsel. This occurs when a lawyer's representation is so deficient that it violates a defendant's Fifth Amendment right to due process and Sixth Amendment right to effective counsel and a fair trial. Okay, so looking back on it now, it, it's, it's still a little strange for me. And maybe it's just because I've seen too many, you know, too many movies or TV stuff. Usually the attorneys are, are constantly meeting up their clients, this and that. And trying to come up with some kind of, especially a defense attorney, you would think, or at least I did. I, I don't know. Maybe that was my problem because I was thinking and not and not not looking at was it, what was actually going on. I, again, I had trust in the system at one point, so I figured, well, an attorney goes to school, they're going to know their stuff, and you know, maybe not necessarily get me off, but they're going to, they're going to know what they need to do. I saw Scott twice. From what I remember now, there might have been a third meeting, but I, I seriously doubt it. I remember meeting him in his office once, but the second time I saw Scott, my brother Tony was with me and we didn't even go into his office. We met in the lobby for about 10 minutes and basically, you know, he, he, he told me, well, you know, the state's got their deal and we're going to try to fight this. But I not knowing at that point that Scott wasn't doing his job. Uh, I figured him being an attorney, I figured he, you know, just like the doctors, I, I, I had faith and trust in them that they would know what to do, which wasn't the case. That, that three days that I was there at that trial, um, it was just like being in Gabriel's hospital room. I don't remember it. I don't remember a lot of what was said. I mean, it's, it's thankfully it's in the transcript. So I was able to go back after a number of years and read it. But I, I remember the jury looking at me just with hatred in their eyes. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, it, it, you don't even know me. How are you going to hate me? You know, but just the fact of, of what they were having to deal with. And I mean, you know, and, and again, it's we're, we're all we all do this. I mean, we're all guilty of this, especially if there's a child that's involved. Um, if I hear something about a child molester, I'm instantly I'm angry because this poor kid has been abused. You know, and and I want justice. And and I mean, we're society. I mean, this it, it's like this stuff is brilliant. You know, we, we all want to be protectors and, and especially with a kid. And I mean, even thinking back on it now, we're talking, you know, 13, 14 years later. It's still just so surreal because you're being accused of murdering your child. You're hoping to God that the system is going to find that you didn't do this. But when people that don't have any clue other than what is being presented to them, 
And again, on assumption, they're going to assume, well, okay, this guy, you know, he's got to be guilty, but they're just hearing what they're being presented, you know? So, it, uh, you know, I, I can't blame them for what they, I mean, it's not their fault. They were given half the story. If, you know, if, if any of the story really at that point. The state's case against Dave relied almost entirely on the shaken baby syndrome diagnosis. Despite having no eyewitnesses, the state made the case that Dave inflicted non-accidental abusive head trauma on Gabriel, causing his death. The other part of their case was the timeline that they said incriminated Dave. The state argued that the injury must have occurred in Dave's care because of the baby bottle. Experts testified that Gabe could not have taken a bottle at the babysitter's had he already been injured because the type of injury to the brain would have caused him to begin losing basic motor skills. The state's experts said this proved the injury occurred in Dave's care after he picked up Gabe from the babysitter's. This entire theory is at conflict with the truth. If you recall, Gabe did not take the bottle at the babysitter's. He threw up all over the babysitter and Dave. The police had this information, but it was omitted from the facts at trial. Dave's attorney failed to refute any of the state's case. He didn't call any witnesses other than myself. I testified to myself, which, yeah, I, I might as well have been testifying to this damn brick wall out here, you know, or something. He didn't cross-examine the... Uh, the, the pathologist that did the uh, the autopsy on my son, Gabriel, uh, her name was Dr. Sally Aiken, and she worked for Spokane County. She basically said that Gabriel's death was due to phenobarbital toxicity due to diffuse hypoxic ischemic uh, injury, which basically meant that Gabriel had had a lack of oxygen to his brain, and they put him on comfort care and basically sent him out to sea on 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 meds that were going to keep him out of pain. Basically what it comes down to. Scott never he never cross-examined her about why she didn't put because she she said that with the cause of death she couldn't she couldn't say a cause of death. So she put it down as undetermined and never having to send my son's brain to another pathologist at the University of New Mexico named Dr. Riker. None of that had ever came out either. It was in the file, but none of it ever came out of trial. So again, I mean, it just Scott's whole lack of basically going along, going along with what the state said, not doing any kind of defense, and then just basically riding off into the sunset is why it became ineffective. Sally Aiken's inability to determine a cause of death was because she could not figure out the brain pathology. Dr. Richard Reichard, the second doctor to perform an autopsy, came to the same conclusion. He actually said Gabe's entire medical history would be needed to make a determination. So in essence, no doctor ever determined that a homicide occurred. Yet, that is exactly what Dave was charged with and ultimately convicted of. Basically, not to put too fine a point on it, um, to succeed on an ineffective assistance claim, your lawyer has to have screwed up, and the screw-up has to have prejudiced your case. That is Colin Stevens, a Missoula-based criminal defense attorney and Montana Innocence Project board member who worked on Dave's case. 
quote unquote shaken baby cases are I, I mean it's a hot topic right they have I would say 70% of all scientists, doctors, pediatricians, uh, prosecutors, cops, partridges and pear trees all buy into this whole shaken baby, the triad, the petechiae, all this other brouhaha. And then there's, you know, 30% of doctors who, who aren't quacks. I mean, they're actual reputable MDs. They're publishing in journals. Um, you know, they've passed Daubert tests who think that this is junk science. So it's really an open question on, you know, whether shaken baby exists. And even if it does exist, how can we ascertain what's a shaken baby case? What's a, you know, a horrible genetic mutation that may resemble the, some of the effects may resemble shaken baby um, or what's just, you know, life happens, accidents happen, seizures happen, all kinds of stuff. So you know, I mean, the, the largest instance of inefficacy in Dave's case was the fact that Scott just, his, his, his trial lawyer did nothing. He didn't call witnesses. He didn't, he didn't call expert witnesses. And, um, right. So that's error under the ineffective assistance of counsel, the Strickland standard, you know, failing to call witnesses, I guess, wouldn't be per se error unless they had something to say, right? And in this case, you have, let's just say 30% of a legal community or a medical community who's willing to say like, yes, this, this wasn't a shaken baby case. So that's error. The prejudice then becomes, well, if he would have called some of those witnesses, what would they have said, right? Because you don't get prejudice if, you know, the most rabid shaken baby denier comes in and says, yeah, this is a shaken baby. Um, there's no prejudice there, right? you know, the Innocence Project was able to marshal these these experts and do what should have been done in the very first place. Failing to refute shaken baby syndrome was the biggest example of ineffective assistance of counsel. That is what the Montana Supreme Court found as well when they reviewed Dave's case. But there are other examples. One is that when Dave's attorney, Scott Spencer, began his opening statement, he conceded that 95% of the state's case was uncontested. He did not run this by Dave. In fact, he heard it for the first time in open court. So there are certain concessions that I think are permissible. You certainly don't make them without clearing them with your client in advance, I would say, especially on a big one like this. Um, you don't have to clear every trial strategy with your client, but if you're going to go in and concede 95% of the state's case, you should probably let your client know you're going to do an advance so he doesn't turn to you in front of the jury and say, dude, what the hell? But yeah, I mean, that's a big one. If that had been the only thing in Dave's case, he probably wouldn't have won um, because that is kind of the deferential standard. And that's what I should say about ineffective assistance of counsel is reviewing courts are really reluctant to armchair quarterback, Monday morning quarterback decisions that trial counsel made in the middle of the game, right? Um, and counsel are, I mean, even Scott Spencer, they're presumed to be competent. They're presumed to act in their client's best interest. So you you always have to overcome that. You're ice skating uphill to mix my sports metaphors. Um, so if it, if it had just been the concession I mean, I would have screamed up and down that that was IAC. I don't think a court would have bought it. But once you have this like dumpster fire 
of error, everything becomes just one more log on that fire. Adding to the fire was Dave's attorney, Scott Spencer, arguing a lesser included offense without clearing it with Dave. So basically, a lesser included offense is exactly what it is without getting into too much of the details. You've got, if you're charged with deliberate homicide and you go to trial on deliberate homicide without a um, lesser included offense, the jury's got a binary choice. They're either going to convict you um, of deliberate or they're going to acquit you of deliberate. They may not do either, right? They could hang and not come to a unanimous decision, but in a perfect world, that's what they do. They either convict or they acquit. If you give them sort of a, a middle ground or a lesser included offense, it's a way to convict a defendant of a crime that's less, of a, of a, has less of a penalty, right? So negligent carries, I think, 20 years off the top of my head. There's a mitigated homicide that has a maximum of 40 years. Um, so, yeah, basically what Spencer did in in Dave's case was he went in and said, well, ladies and gentlemen, my client's telling you he's innocent. But even if you don't believe that load of malarkey, he didn't commit, he didn't kill the kid on purpose. It was just this really big negligence. He wasn't acting as a good parent should. Um, which again, if you're hearing, if you're the defendant hearing that for the first time in open court, nobody's going to sit there stoic with the poker face. I mean, I can't think of a world in which it would be okay. And it's not even just like, I mean, even if there was a court opinion that said, yeah, it's okay. A lawyer can, you know, throw out a lesser included offense without advising the client. Even if, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court said that, I think from just a human being standpoint, you know, you're tasked with representing this guy who's charged with this horrible crime who has told you over and over that he's innocent and he did not kill his child, right? I mean, it's a big deal. As Dave told you earlier, he met with his attorney, Scott Spencer, two, maybe three times. This is unprecedented for homicide cases where attorneys usually meet with their clients multiple times and prepare with them diligently. I guess it depends. I shouldn't say the most. There's other cases that are more factually complex. White collar fraud cases are document dumps. Um, deliberate homicide cases can be very simple, but you know, because there's this division in the medical community about shaken baby, you take it very seriously. You read articles. I mean, you don't even have to call experts to testify at trial, but at minimum, you have to consult with them. In these types of cases, you prepare, you prepare, you prepare, you prepare, because there's so much literature on Shaken Baby. Um, the state had its own experts that they were bringing in. Yeah, and the kid, he was young. I mean, Gabe was young, and you had these other sort of medical factors in play. You know, mom wasn't mother of the year. So, that, yeah, you prepare. And you don't try the dang thing yourself, right? I mean, I don't know... Um, I don't know of a ton of lawyers who are out there trying deliberate homicide cases by themselves. Uh, you should always have co-counsel, period, and an investigator. Um, and I think I think Scott did have an investigator in Dave's case, but I don't know what, if anything, he did. I mean, you prepare for every case as best as you can, but when the defendant's life is on the line or there's a more than decent chance he's going to die in prison because of mistakes that you make, 
you try not to make any. After the jury delivered the guilty verdict for deliberate homicide, a judge sentenced Dave to 40 years in prison. He was 38 years old at the time, so this was effectively a life sentence. I knew I was screwed. I mean, I, I, I knew it. And my life was over, and I mean, from there on out, it, it, I was going through, you know, and I've told you this before, too. I was going between being numb and being angry. Because now I not only do I not know what's killed my boy and still thinking at that point that it was a babysitter or had something to do with his death. But then, too, now my life's over. Everything I've tried to build up and everything I've tried to do in 25, 30 years is gone. Um, I mean, not just losing Gabriel. I mean, that, that was the biggest that was the biggest hurt. But everything I've worked my ass off for, too, at that point is gone. I mean, my, my life's over. I'm done. Um, so just, I, I, I don't know. It's weird. It, it went from being surreal and, and sad and angry to, all right, screw it. I don't give a shit anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm done and, and I'm going to do what I got to do. About two years into his wrongful incarceration, Dave reached out to the Montana Innocence Project. We took on his case in 2012. Dave remembers the mountain of documents he received of medical expert after medical expert saying, this isn't a homicide and this isn't shaken baby syndrome. I remember they started talking about trying to find, and it, it's kind of fuzzy here and there. I mean, they, they went through, I don't remember how many experts. I mean, I, I, I could have probably counted this, but I, I hadn't. Um, but they had a number of experts start going through over, we'll say between 2012, maybe 2013 to 2016, um, or maybe even as far as 2017. So we're talking experts over the course of probably four, four and a half, five years. Um, but this was all, you know, like little increments here and there, you know, uh, one expert would say one thing. Well, then another expert had come in and they'd look at stuff and they they kind of concur with some of the stuff, but maybe there was another little tidbit here. And then another expert would come in and, and maybe there was another little tidbit here. Um, I mean, all in all, we had, there's five of the experts that I remember, they were just pathologists, the people that do the autopsies on, on you know, people. Um, five pathologists that basically came out and said, there was no homicide that ever occurred. This was something medical. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there was there was a slew of experts between 2012 to 2017 that uh, I, yeah, I mean, it, it's still mind-blowing. Um, the paperwork and, and, you know, trying to figure out, okay, somebody says a certain terminology or this or that medical or whatever. And, and uh, I don't know, so many people that I have to be thankful for. Because they didn't know me, you know, but they stepped up. They stepped up for my boy. The Montana Innocence Project had nearly 15 experts review Gabe's medical records, three of which conducted secondary autopsies. All of them agree that a homicide did not occur. There were multiple theories as to what could have caused Gabe's death but the most likely answer is that he suffered from sagittal sinus thrombosis and cortical vein thrombosis. What ended up taking Gabriel out was 
he had sagittal sinus thrombosis, which is the big vein in your brain that all your other veins come off of. There was clotting in there. That showed up prior to Gabriel being, prior to Gabriel's autopsy. But once they did the autopsy, that was gone because all these cells and everything, they die off and they can't, they can't see it anymore. But it's on the fucking MRI reports at the very first emergency uh, room uh, uh, MRIs and shit they did the night of October 4th. Then there's the cortical venous thrombosis. Now, the cortical veins run on the side of your head. Thrombosis, all it means is a blockage or a clot. It's like taking a water hose and, and stopping it here and then stopping it here and then stopping it here. And Gabriel had multiple, and this was brought up by Dr. Patrick Barnes. Again, the beauty of all this is because it's all in the fucking paperwork and there's the MRIs and there's all the pictures. And Dr. Lloyd basically told me, though, what, what basically killed my son was multiple strokes due to blood clotting. He was having seizures. He was having strokes. And the blood clotting in his brain caused all this. By the time the Montana Innocence Project got involved, experts were able to determine the misdiagnosis by assessing medical evidence. But the cause of the thrombosis was hard to identify due to the lack of information about any medical problems during the first two months of Gabe's life. Based on the evidence of the misdiagnosis, the Montana Innocence Project filed a petition for post-conviction relief in 2014. It was denied but MTIP appealed the decision to the Montana Supreme Court, who reversed and sent it back to the lower court to reconsider. Judge James Haynes was assigned to take over Dave's case following the remand. He found that Scott Spencer was ineffective for failing to consult with or call experts who could have challenged the controversial shaken baby syndrome diagnosis. On June 29, 2018, Judge Haynes overturned Dave's conviction and ordered a new trial. In the next episode, Dave will tell you about the ending to his innocence case, where his life stands now, and the happy yet complicated feelings that come with freedom for someone who's been wrongfully convicted of shaken baby syndrome. Justice is a Montana Innocence Project podcast. The artwork was created by Rob Truax, and the music was composed by Corey Fay. Thank you for unpacking Injustice with the Montana Innocence Project. <laughs> <laughs>